listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Bracken, my love from afar. Mm, yes, dear. I don't have to don't have to lust for you for much longer because we get each other in the flesh this weekend. It's a big weekend for us. Big weekend. Thursday through Sunday. I scored us a sweet spot right on the edge of Devil's Lake State Park. We can just run out our door to the park, go bury each other, come back to the Airbnb brainstorm and do what we need to do on the running public side of things. I can't think of a better way to spend four days, Bracken. I am like a giddy little child. This reminds me of when we used to, every year, with the the uh, reading program growing up in elementary school, you would get a free ticket to Six Flags Great America if you completed 60 minutes a day for like 60 days or something. And then the last three or four sleeps prior to Great America were just tedious. So all I'm doing is daydreaming about how awesome it's going to be. And that's it. This mm. is this is Six Flags Great America for me. Unbelievable. Did you go on the American Eagle backwards? Was that your go-to roller coaster? Do you remember Everything. that one? Yeah. Batman was my go-to, but American Eagle was probably second. My, my curiosity for you is uh, we are bone dry up here. We haven't had snow, rain. I'm looking yeah. like there's green grass sprouting up. It's the most bizarre thing. It's hitting 50 degrees. So we have the best winter running we've ever had in my 40 years on this earth, I'm pretty sure. Uh, is it the same mm-hmm. down there? Or are you still dealing with melt-off and crap? Like what kind of conditions are we getting this weekend? We're to the end of melt-off. So we had over two feet two to three weeks ago. But it's been rainy, and now it's warm. Like, right now, it's 36 degrees outside, and it was sunny yesterday. And now we're to the point where the only place you see snow anywhere is just the remnant of what used to be a giant pile that had been plowed into place. Mm-hmm. So the trails are, like, outside of shaded trails. The, the trails around me right now are probably, like, 70% clear, Sweet. which makes them wet. But apparently up further, my aunt and uncle were up a little bit past Baraboo, and they said there's really no snow up there. So I think all the trails are going to be accessible. Sweet. What a rarity. Well, we might be doing a little mud running, but that's all right. So, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I can't think of a time in my entire life where we could say that on the first week of February. Uh, I, I can't either. And I don't know about you, but talking to athletes across the country, like I have somebody out in Montana, and she said she ran in shorts and a tank top this weekend for like her long run yeah, it's wild. in the in bozeman like what on earth is happening well we know it's happening but let's not get into that um thanks al gore we made it yeah, thanks al <laughs> thanks al um we made a call to action to let us know what you want to see more of less of any thoughts suggestions on the podcast last episode because we're going to be doing some work here coming up and i would probably say i had a dozen people reach out in some capacity, a lot of athletes I coach may mm-hmm. offering suggestions, uh, some small critiques, but mostly suggestions was fantastic. So I don't know. You had some people reach out too, right? Yep. Yeah. What's your takeaway? What are your takeaways so far? Uh, they, they like when it's personal. Stories, actionable takeaways from our own training. 
Because we've we've gone back and forth at the beginning. We talked a lot about times and nuts and bolts. And then we were hearing from some people that it felt like it was a bit uh, elitist to only talk about pacing. And it makes people who don't run that pace feel bad. So then we pulled way back on talking about our races or ourselves. And I wasn't racing for a while. And you didn't talk about it. And then we were told, we want more of that. Like We just don't want to hear bragging about pacing, which we found humorous since we're slow in our circles, but we get it. Mm -hmm. And so people seem to want that balance of we want personal stories. We want to hear about workouts. It's just the things that are always important to us aren't necessarily important to them in terms of what was the pace or whatever, but more stories, more anecdotes, more takeaways, which I think leads nicely into today's episode. Um, So far, it's been I would like to hear from average people. Um, stories of people who have done things that aren't necessarily elite or weren't elite to start with anyways, like the, the everyday Joe sort of story, um, request Mm -hmm. to have maybe a longer term approach to some of our episodes, like following an athlete's journey or mentioning our own athletes and what they're doing and examples of successes about the things we preach, things like that, maybe to prove our, our worth, or just for something for long-term investment. I got a little bit of that. And then merch. Right. can hear more like we got to get on top of the merch again. We're bone dry on merch as well. So got to get on top of that. But anyways, if you have more suggestions, email, text. And I think the athlete feedback is interesting because we have gone above and beyond to keep our athletes anonymous. Because we, we haven't had that conversation on a per-athlete basis of, do you want people to know we work together? Do you care if people hear about your training? Do you want to share your racing success? You know, we we have a, we have a, a relatively large stable of athletes we work with in different capacities, but we don't really break them or shout them out or talk about their trials and tribulations and how we approach it. But that's probably the most relatable thing on earth is that people who are listening are in the same shoes as them. So we'll have to have some conversations with the athletes we want to talk about more. And I, I suppose we can keep it anonymous here and there, but a lot of coaching platforms are always promoting their athletes results. And we don't do a good job of that. Back in the leaderboard days, <clears throat> which was Bracken's coaching platform, Bracken and company's coaching platform back in like 2017 and 18, would you say that was when it was at its pinnacle? Um, yeah, probably 16 through 18 was the, was the life cycle of that uh, at its, at its best. Yeah. Um, but it was like every week or every other week there would be like a Facebook live chat, which was kind of the thing people did then. That was like what our option was. And you would do athlete shout outs, like athlete shout outs for like who did well and who deserves mm-hmm. a pat on the back and kind of tell their story. And even though I remember enjoying tuning in for that, it seems braggadocious if we were to do that, I think, a little bit. But I also think that like there's good lessons to be learned there. So maybe we could implement something like that with our athletes if they're if they're up for it. But <clears throat> um, you had uh, you had something you were gonna you were gonna blindside me with today, a topic or a and you as well situation, which I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a blindsider by nature. Don't we know it? Yeah, I had a. I had a, a, a learning, not a learning, a big revelation takeaway, not anything new, but just an experience this weekend that was kind of shocking to me. So we kind of going back in time a little bit, I've talked a lot on here and on race brain about what happened around the time of my first knee surgery where in, in running public was part of that. That was early on with us. One, I think within our first month or two, I announced I was going to have my first knee surgery. 
that correct? Yeah, it sounds about right. Mm, yeah, that yeah, was but in 2020 you did, was, in February. Was it? Yeah. But you didn't have your knee surgery before racing like Jacksonville that year and having the calf issue, did you? That was after my second knee surgery, yeah. Oh, okay. Or that was in between my first and my second? I don't remember. I'd already had one for sure, yeah. Oh, okay. That stemmed from rehabbing off my knee. So timeline here was that I had had some hamstring issues and kind of losing focus on training and had just kind of gone race to race every few months, not really staying in great shape, but staying in touch with it. And then Hyrox came over to the U.S. for the first time in Miami in 2019 in fall, late fall, I think. And we all went down there and thought we were all going to be, you know, God's gift to this sport. And it turned out only Hunter was at that moment. And it was really, really humbling. And I found out how weak I had gotten over the years. I had never been a powerhouse of an athlete, but I had certainly been stronger. And a high rocks really exposed me. And I had a conversation with Hunter afterwards, who had obviously done really well. And he said, listen, you just need to put in a strength block of training. If you just add power to what you can do, you will be much better. Like you weren't even able to use your running because you were so destroyed from the strength. And by the end of it, I was running 445 uh, for my last thousand meter run. 440, and I my first one was 318. So even if those numbers don't mean anything to you, I got a minute and a half slower in a 1,000 meter run by the end of it. So he had a long phone call with me, two or three of them. And I took copious notes and I wrote down every strength exercise and, and workout that he said I should do. And I, I implemented a four-day split. And he said, back off of cardio for the first two or three weeks of this. Go all in on this. Get all the badness out of the way. And then ease it back in and then get back into your training. And so I put together an 11-week training block. Do you remember all this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And my goal was to then run Chicago High Rocks in the pro division and undo everything I did in Miami. And in Miami, I ran one hours and 16 or 17 minutes, which is extraordinarily slow for the pro division. And I went through this 11-week training block, and halfway through, my knee really started bugging me. And then I had a pop during a workout one of the days, and then I lost a lot of the function in that knee. Um, but I finished it out, did high rocks, ran 70 minutes. So I cut seven-ish minutes off of my time. But I was still not very good. Like I took fifth place, which is fine, but it wasn't what I expected. I would 11-a-week training block in any other version of OCR, and I'd do a lot better than what I did there. And anyway, uh, long story short, this weekend I went back. And then uh, two weeks later, I had my knee surgery. And that kicked off everything as we know it now. So that was the last competition I did prior to my first major surgery. Not major, but not nothing. And this weekend, uh, as I was revamping, looking over my training that I've been doing and deciding upon which high rocks I want to do next because I'm tired of having a 70-minute time to my name, I've kind of just settled on the fact that high rocks will be my next major competition. Out of curiosity, I went back and looked at my training from back then. And I, and I rewrote it all out in my new for, uh, format of how I would use it nowadays because a lot of it was on paper and pen and then a few things on, on Strava. I pieced it all together, Kirk. 11 weeks of training. If I take the 11th week out because it's race week, in those 10 weeks of training, how many runs do you think I completed? 10 weeks. In, in 10 weeks? How many runs in 10 weeks total, like combined run yep. days? All, all sorts of running. 
Yeah, I know. But I, yeah, I know you were watching your knee already. I know mm-hmm. that your volume was low. Halfway through, I started watching my knee. Like you probably ran like 30 times. I did 33 runs in 11 weeks. If I take out my pre-race run, my race, and my Monday run, 29 runs in 10 weeks. I just remember this. Um, I remember this distinctly being a part of the conversation about you had mentioned how in free, I think in some week or you had run twice or something in a week or two or something and it got down that had that come point, up. Yeah. And, yeah, and I just remember thinking how low that was. So I have some inside info. So sorry, I, I know you probably thought I was going to overshoot that. It's but all right. I remember that distinctly. Average run duration in minutes. 45. 32 minutes. Whew. Total number of lifts in those 10 weeks. 20. 38. Okay, a little better than I thought. I lifted a lot. That was in your build between the races after you This was my serious okay. build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, That I would for, for a week. 38 lifts, 29 runs, total quality sessions, including the race. I don't know. Let's say you average. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say two a week. So 20. Nine. <laughs> total times touching station work. High rock specific station. Anything that makes up a station. Five. Are you, is this, is this like a three-year delayed race excuse episode, Bracken? <laughs> is this, is this a, I'm I can explain why, but what this is. This was a, I cannot believe that was the work I was doing because that's not the work I remember doing. Mm-hmm. I remember being so, di- I thought I was Rocky Four. I was down in the basement, in my grimy basement, in the dark, just putting in work. And my body was changing and my numbers were skyrocketing. And I was deceiving myself as to what I was actually doing. I was working out at least six times a week. Many, many weeks it was 10 times, but it was hard lift in the morning that destroyed me. And again, I was newer to lifting, especially this style. And so everything left me wrecked for a while. And I'd add on like a 20 to 40 minute bike in the PM. And so I'm doubling and I'm spending two hours a day working out. But of those two hours, 70 minutes to 80 minutes was the lift. And three quarters of that time is rest break. So I I, I had this, I knew I didn't run much compared to what a normal running block was. But until I looked at my training log, I had no clue the difference between what I thought I had done and what I actually completed. It was mind-blowing last night. If I remember, you put on 8 or 10 pounds of muscle. Your wife was more attracted to you than ever. She loved that. 170.6 on day one, Mm -hmm. 181.3 on race day. So 11 Which is pounds, astounding. 10 and a half. Not all muscle, but most of it. You have to remember, Hunter's a very convincing man. I've had conversations with him. We've lost touch in the last year or two. We don't chat very much anymore, but we used to. And he is a vindicated human being. And I guarantee after your conversation with him, he very much was like, let's compartmentalize this. You're lifting now. You know, and you had that fresh in your head, like all my emotional and physical focus is going into muscle and strength. So you were giving yourself permission Mm -hmm. to let go of the other stuff because Hunter told you that all that extra run work is just going to work against you if you're trying to build strength, right? And so you went and do it with that, and which is true, which is true. He's correct there. And so I agree with you. You look back and it's astounding, like, oh, my gosh. But there is that sacrificial period of time in which if you – like Rich Ryan went through it, right? 
if you got if you mm-hmm. need to bulk up if you're just not strong enough well and you try to cram that all into 11 weeks extend that out twice that long and you could have had 11 weeks that looked like what you described and then another 11 weeks where you ramped up the volume and suddenly you're running 62 minutes it's just an interesting i mean i'm justifying this for you but if you put yourself in your mindset yeah. then it makes sense yeah well and he also was clear that like you have to do this until you're ready to run again and I was feeling and experiencing so much growth on the strength side that the 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 flashing light, like the title and neon that was glowing in the background that was blinding me, was if I can just run like I ran and be twice as powerful, this is going to be an entirely night and day experience. But even though I had already at this point been competing for 20 years and coaching at some level for nine my blinders were so on that I didn't realize how much I was not going to be able to run and do the machines the way I used to be able to because I wasn't training them. And I was only touching them enough to still feel like I can do fine at workouts. Like by the end of it, I didn't feel slow. I specifically remember doing a workout at the Pettit Center where I was like, I'm not the fastest I've ever been, but I'm pretty quick right now. This is going to be good. But I, I had workout fitness. I didn't have race fitness. It couldn't be dinged up. And I didn't realize how much I had replaced running with lifting and then not cycled it back in. In my mind, I was doing things very differently and I was letting overall fatigue tell me how well I was working. I wasn't taking a weekly look back at how many runs did I actually have? How much mileage have I actually put in? How much qual- How many times have I tested the thing like lunging, burpee broad jumps, sleds, rows, the things that are going to destroy me on race day? How many times have I touched this this week? I wasn't staying on top of the actual historical record and I got better because of you had to get better from Miami. But all these years I've had this terror like lodged in the back of my throat about what high rocks does to me. And now looking at this block, it's like, this is, this is outrageous. Of course it was terrible. I touched high rock stations five times in 11 weeks and expected to be good at high rocks. So my natural follow-up question then, well, first oh, an mm-hmm. observation is we're continuing to learn as coaches, even with ourselves, right? Like the, the yes. way we, we grow and learn from our own mistakes and successes is astounding. And it continues, right? Especially when you're, let's call it brave enough to uh, explore like new endeavors, uncharted waters for you, so to speak. So like, there's going to be some learning curve. So we cut you some slack there, right? I would myself in hindsight mm-hmm. be like, well, yeah, it was a greenhorn, right? Um, we all were, nobody knew what the heck we were doing. It was novel and new. And, and then the second thing is you still haven't gotten, so something this weekend happened that you haven't mm-hmm. talked about yet. Like what has led to having this conversation? That's now I'm like, tell me what happened this weekend. Well, the big takeaway is we need to be tracking our workouts if we care about performance or progression at all. And then we need to revisit them. You have to go back and check on them because I didn't afterwards. My postmortem didn't exist on this race because I turned around and got right into surgery. I was on the operating bed within 12 days of finishing this race. And so everything had turned in those 12 days to set up your protocol for rehab. I just left the postmortem for this race behind. I never went back through and figured out like, why, why? So this isn't an excuse. I brought what I brought to the table. I worked hard for 11 weeks, but it was, some of it was needed. Other was, it was overkill. I could have got away with 12 less lifts and 12 more runs and 
a million more station reps. But the point is I didn't go back through and figure out what I'd actually done and then operated under false pretenses moving forward. I think that's key for everyone. We have to revisit our training log. So that's takeaway number one. Yeah. Takeaway number two, last night when I finished this, I was uh, dragging my feet on doing my second session. So I went back and I did it. And I did a workout, one of the five high rocks workouts I did in those 11 weeks I did last night. Technically, it was Saturday night, not last night. It was night and day better. So I completed that one in December of 2019. So almost four four years to the the day later. I haven't done a pro race since. I've done four doubles. My dabbling in doubles in my general training routine, taking the things that I've learned from high rocks and keeping them in there has me more prepared for a high rocks than my 11 week cram session that I did when preparing for a high rocks. It was astounding how different the workout felt and what I was able to do after the workout. It was just, it was crazy that When I went all in on something the wrong way, I got less results than just stacking together consistent-ish work that kept on top of all the little pieces I would need, but not in any sort of emphasis. I've been very like upfront over the last few years that my training hasn't always been training. There's been a lot of exercising. But it also, then looking back through this, it's become apparent that my exercising has evolved over the years as well, to the point where... Four years later, training I would consider exercising was more purposeful than training I called training four years prior. Yeah, well, you've been very open about the fact that you've been diversifying your training in these last months, right? Like mm-hmm. you're always doing something, and even if it's not running, it's working towards you're, – you're still putting time in, right? The other thing right. <clears throat> I think if you make sense of it a little bit um, is one you were on the decline then due to your knee and inability to get time on foot. And we have to acknowledge that, right? And post-surgeries, you've had, what, hernia surgery, two knee surgeries. Am I missing anything? Mm-hmm. That's everything, right? That's enough. No, okay. that's all the needles and thread that went into me. Yeah, that's enough. Um, you know, you've kind of been forced to rebuild yourself from the ground up on like a strength front. You had quadricep tendinopathy. You had other things that focused, forced you to slow down. And all this is coming upon, uh, let's say, a, a, a shift in mindset to I need to get stronger and I need to. So mm-hmm. without really knowing it, you know, guys who found OCR like me and said, I've been training for this my whole life and I didn't even know it. Like I was in the gym doing bodybuilding split routines, but yet I was running 50 miles a week. I was just haphazardly going through training, but little did I know these skill sets came together. Thus was OCR. And I found Mm -hmm. I had, you know, not that you've been doing it that uh, the disparity isn't maybe that strong, but like, nonetheless, like kind of had to go back to basics and like, isn't hybrid. Like it's so foundational on both sides, like foundational strength and foundational aerobic ability. And I'm not saying even if it was by design, but you've been forced to focus on the strength and the little things and not lose sight of that. And you've been doing that for years. And I've built some good momentum with your aerobic output, whether it's been on machines or running. And it doesn't have to be special. It just has to be consistent. And if anything, I would say the last six months to a year has been the most consistent you've been able to be since I've known you. So there's a lot of things going in your favor, right? 
So I can make, I'm trying to make sense of it and I can, but the main takeaway for you, and maybe this would be good for me too, is for some reason you sat down and looked at your log. You just went back out of curiosity, right? And that just set off this cascade of thoughts. Yeah. Well, there's a, I'm considering doing the Anaheim High Rocks race. And at the time on Saturday, that was 16 weeks ahead. So two eight-week blocks, basically. And I was thinking, how should I fill the first eight? Let's go look back what I did with 11 last time and see what I can take away. And then it just spiraled out of control going down and, and, and pouring through all the metrics because I just kept being more shocked at what I didn't do. So again, takeaway number one, revisit your past training and stay in touch with what you're actually doing versus what you think you're doing. Because we run into this with athletes all the time. Show me your last six weeks of training when they do when we do our onboarding questionnaire. And there's, mm-hmm. I'd say half the time, there's a note in there that says something along the lines of, wow, writing this down, I'm not running nearly as much as I thought I was running. And I had that this yeah, week. Yeah, you see that a lot. And then part two of the takeaway is that when I wasn't trying to train, I was doing purposeful rehab, which moved into purposeful prehab. These last six months of how can I figure out how to train for a lifetime of health while still being able to enjoy my training has been more well-rounded and purposeful than the things I used to do when I'd throw myself into a task with less knowledge than we have now. So it was just, is it really, really, no, no. Could I go out and race hard right now? I don't know. But in the sample size of one, like 38 minute workout, I was two minutes and 15 seconds faster without training to the test. So like not training to the test, but training for all subjects for me was more effective than training improperly for the test. So I guess take what you will out of that. But I think that it's the reminder that we all more often than we currently do need to look backwards and ensure that we're actually completing what we think we're completing. Okay. I like that. It wasn't actually intended to be about, Hey, tell me I'm good. Tell me I, there's a reason I was bad or justify that it was more of this was shocking to me and i look at these metrics for my living Mm -hmm. and i was missing my own blind spot which was myself well i like that takeaway just go back and objective look at what you've done right like and then hopefully that starts helping you formulate a clear picture of why your past results have been what they are whether good or bad because you could look back and be like you know what dang i was putting in the volume and oh my goodness, mm-hmm. like this makes sense to me. Just take a step back. Um, I guess the other thing like takeaway wise is I think we're going to have to like simplify it a little bit for me in particular, and maybe our listener, like what does this mean for them? Like the, the whole part about looking back makes sense. That's cut and dry, but the whole part of like, okay, like dissecting why you're better now, like why you're better now, even though you hadn't focused on a high rocks or crammed or went all in for an, a certain event, like make that make sense. You know what I mean? Like how can we explain that one out? So it's a teachable moment for the listeners. I don't know if this exactly addresses that, but one of my big mistakes is that I remembered writing the plan more than I remembered the execution of it. You do like to romanticize. You like to romanticize yeah. plans. Yeah, you do. I do. And since I wrote it, I'm connected to that plan. So I know what the intent was, and I remember training hard throughout it. And so those two added up to say you completed the plan. I would have guessed I had downgraded to 30 miles per week by the end, maybe 25. It's not the case. Turned out I was running 30 miles every two weeks. So the plan was to do one thing. 
I filled that plan with work, but I didn't remember all the modifications, adjustments, and empty spots that were in there. Supposed to have a PM run, but my leg's not ready. I'm still so sore and tired from the lift. Today was a great day of training. Hmm. There was no oversight there on that. So I think that we often confuse ourselves or cloud the narrative about how often did we actually complete what we set out to do? And how often did we pivot and do something else that made us feel good, but didn't have much purpose? Like how much those 20 minute to 30 minute PM easy spins, heart rate under 130. How much did that help me on race day? Practically zero, I hate to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. anyways, what's the takeaway for people? I think it's that getting your plan on paper is not the success strategy. <laughs> executing the plan and making sure that you have a way of notating when you divert from the plan. I had my plan I could look at, but I had to go through and find all my different resources to see what I actually did because I didn't go through and just simple like turn the cell green if I did it, red if I didn't, yellow if I changed it. That's really simple. You can look back and see that really easily. I wasn't doing that. But why am I better now? It's because I'm addressing my whole body. I'm not a better runner right now. In fact, Kirk, I ran that turkey trot on the same uh, day mm. that I ran it this year. I was, I was four seconds per mile faster this year. So objectively, about the same. And I remember that mm -hmm. one. I went out hot and faded badly. So I could have potentially, if I just ran even, run as fast or faster. So my running is not objectively different. But everything else is definitely different simply from prehabbing and touching upon it each week. Let's not cloud the fact that you got seven minutes faster with your plan. So it was a good plan, Bracken. Seven minutes yeah. improvement, of course. So like, let's not foo-foo that you were just closing your eyes and throwing darts at the wall, right? Seven minutes from <laughs> race to race is big progress. So let's not, let's, you could still look back and justify your decisions and they were clearly mm -hmm. good decisions because you were seven minutes faster. I know it's eye-opening to look back, and I know like you have a workout comparative from then to now. You were two and a half minutes faster on a similar workout, um, which, again, means you're probably going to run faster when you do race. Uh, but let's just not – let's not like just label ourselves idiots in your thought no, process and execution at the time. Correct. I just want to acknowledge the fact that we don't need – it wasn't bad. You got seven minutes faster. Some would call that uh, an insurmountable success. Mm-hmm. But the thing I considered an almost insurmountable task of training would now be considered a, like a base building block for me. Like maybe condense those 11 weeks down to three or four, get it out of the way, and then move into the real training. I think the another takeaway is that it's important to understand what stage of training you were in. I was such a novice with lifting, and I'm not advanced, but I'm probably low-end intermediate now rather than novice. Like now I front squat what I was back squatting then. That's a, a noticeable change. It's not about the number. It's about what it's costing me. I can just do that in addition to running now, and that's fine. I couldn't at the time. So I can't expect to repeat that training block and be successful with it. But I also can't look back and say, I did everything possible. I, I can't be good at this. So looking back on our training plans, they don't have to be like this depressing moment thinking, I did everything I could. And I still cramped or I still had to walk the last climb or you did everything you could do at that time with what you knew and what your body in that moment might have been able to do. But just four years of existing in this space and exercising has me in an entirely different body now.
and no one would confuse what I've done in the last four years for world-class training. So if you've continued training, like there, there's hope to get better at those things that I did everything right and that still wasn't great. Like there, there is hope there. I have like three directions I want to go with this. Um, one at a time. The floor is yours. Well, and uh, by the way, uh, we did get a note about uh, people would really enjoy a running public training log where we have space to write down what we feel is important for you for your daily workouts. Uh, and I wonder if others share that sentiment. I don't know if you got that email too, but I was like, mm. we could, I think our training log would look a little different than most you could buy out there based on yeah, our own so. biases. So wonder if there'd be an interest there from people. Cause it'd take a good bit of work up front, but then once it would be completed, it'd be good. Um, uh, one of the thoughts I'm having here is this is actually exactly how you should break down past performances and then project to future uh, desires for your racing because first of all we have to remind you of your success you have to look at what went well right like what what got you the result that you ended up getting that was a positive and it's well seven minutes faster was almost directly related to the fact that you got stronger i don't even know what else you would say other than that so mm -hmm. <clears throat> the takeaways are like you need to rec recognize both sides of the coin recognize the wins and then the shortcomings so the win is obviously you gained 11 pounds, your wife thought you were a sex pot, and you got seven minutes faster at High Rocks. Those are three check marks in the positives column. And then you go, okay, now that I laid that foundation, what are the holes I can pick at that so then I can get seven minutes faster the next one, which is going to be a bigger task at hand. And mm -hmm. then you say, okay, well, now I see the holes. Now that I look back, I need to keep part of that formula in, which is big strength focus. Maybe you need to up your calories a little bit so you can run more and not lose mass. And then suddenly that's how you chip your next big chunk of time off. So it's acknowledging the good and making sure we don't, you preach this plenty of times on this podcast, not losing sight what actually got us there. So that means now suddenly you don't just go all in on just hybrid high rocks quality sessions and reduce your lift days to one or two a week. And now let's pare it down to just the skill work because then you might backtrack mm -hmm. on what you work so hard for in the beginning. And so point being, it's like a very classic way. Like we got a roundabout way of getting here. Like how do I analyze performances and then how do I apply that to my training moving forward? So I get better. And I think we just did that for you, which I didn't know we were going to get 100%. to, but for me, that's what I'm hearing. That's just what I'm hearing. Well, yeah. And, and this is the process that I follow with all the high rocks athletes that I get to work with. As we go through the first one, we build a lot of strength to get to the second one. And then we pick up from there and adapt and move on and make it personal and make sure that they're ready and they just keep PRing and life's great. But I didn't do that with me. I went right to surgery and then right to something else. And I never did that next round. So it, would, it had been so far removed. This is probably the most atypical build and then post-race of my entire racing history. So it was just shocking to see. But yeah, there, there's a lot different I can do now compared to what I could do then. One of which is I can run and lift on the same day. <laughs> I can double on the same day. Like there's a lot there now though, the world's my oyster, right? And we get to that point, just passing a few more years of moving with our bodies. We can do more than we used to do. Well, and you also have more trust in your body now as you should, for because sure. you didn't trust your body for a very long time because it had betrayed you notably in many different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So then Anaheim or not, who cares? Let's just say you got eight to 12 weeks before your next race. Like what, what, what would that look like now that people learned about your past and your realizations and like, what would that look like from like broad strokes in a training sense between now and next race? Well, for these first eight weeks, I'm still not changing the plan. Like we talked about, 
I am changing the PM workouts. Like my my regular running, the type of sub threshold work, all that's staying the same. Look at my Strava. I'm doing a lot of four hundreds one week, twenty to twenty five by four hundred, and then uh, like four days later, three days later, I'm doing three minutes or thousands or four minutes. All of it on forty five to sixty seconds rest. Like that's not changing at all. But what I do in the PM instead of assault bike intervals, now it's rower and skier. On Saturdays, instead of adding an extra hour on the bike, I'm adding an extra high rocks, Metcon, or circuit workout. Still eight weeks of following the progression, but the type of skill I'm working on with my secondary sessions has changed focus. And then at the end of those eight weeks, that's where it's going to get leveled up slightly and tie it all together. But I I guess I didn't even intend on getting to the so what actionable piece today. It was more about the light bulb went off this weekend but that that's what i'm going to do is more of the same like something good got me here and i don't want to leave that yet but i want to start bridging the gap between what i'm doing now and what i want to do two months from now um so are you going to hold minimum standards like i'm going to make sure i'm putting this much time into running or i am going to like do you have any like minimum thresholds like you're going to keep an eye on that stuff and if so how yeah i i mean i wrote out a plan i which i wrote out i've been building eight weeks at a time and so when I got done with Abominable Snow Race, I built out another eight weeks. And so I'm sticking to that, which is, so far it's been six days a week of running, two sub-threshold quality sessions, one medium long run, and a few lifts sprinkled. Now the sprinkled lifts have purpose. That's really the only change. But yeah, I'm, I'm my my plan is still to just stay on top of that. I followed that. I had said that Abominable Snow Race capped off, I think, week eight of the previous training, and i was good all the way through there. And now it's just, all right, let's run it back again with that slight half a gear shift moving forward. Makes sense. The main point I wanted to get is how to dissect a race and build, take away the positives. Let's acknowledge those. It's easy to throw things under the bus when they don't go as well as you wanted to, right? And scrap Mm -hmm. everything, but that's not the case with you, nor is it normally the case with anybody. Right. So I think it's important. Well, so we, we hear this after, after athletes races a lot. Like, I just am not a blank person. I'm just not a downhill person. Like, I've worked on this. I'm just not a longer than two hours person. And I left High Rocks knowing I'm just not a power output person. Hmm. Like, the sleds are just not something I, like, the pole went better. I made up a lot of time on the pole. It was still a long pole, but that was back on the 25-meter lane days. But the push shouldn't be any different with 25-meter than 12 and a half. The push was so destructive to me. And then the the farmer's carry and the walking lunges were so bad. So bad. My farmer's carry was something like 241 for 200 meters. Like you got to be 141 mm-hmm. to be like doing anything of decent work in the pro division. I put it down like five or six times. And then the walking lunges, there was a point where I made contact, eye contact with Lisa and she just looked like she was going to cry. I was, that's how bad I was doing on the walking lunges. And afterwards she said, I I was like 50 feet away and I could see your quads quivering. Like I was just so destroyed after those. And now I look back and I, I just said over the years, everyone, anytime someone's like, I think you could be actually be good at high rocks. Like I can't because pow, sustained power output is just not my thing. Like I worked on it. I just, it's not. But so I look back on this log and three things jump out, Kirk. All right, the, uh, I should say four. The first is that 
I didn't do a single sled workout other than two sims. Yeah, the sled push is going to be tough. Mm-hmm. I didn't do a single farmer's carry workout over 45 pounds because all I could use were plates to hold. I didn't have anything else other than my two sims. And I didn't do any walking lunges above 50 pounds other than my two sims. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was going to go bad. And because I didn't prepare for it the way I thought I did, I can't trust that takeaway that I'm just not a blank. I'm just not good at farmer's carry. That's not a talent. There's a bit of skill to it. Like Some people will be naturally better than others, but everyone can get passable at farmer's carry. It may take you doing it every single day, but everyone can get to the point where they can walk 200 meters without putting something down. Every single person without disability can do that. So if you're not a downhill person or not a two-hour... Maybe you haven't worked it the way you thought you did or for long enough. Maybe 11 weeks wasn't enough. And then the final thing I wore, I ended up because of my knees hurting so bad with surgery coming up, I ran in the Evo speed goats just for ultimate cushioning and lightweight. Well, what do we know about that tread on hard surfaces? Slippery. Yeah. So of course I couldn't get any grip on the sled. (laughs) There were some things stacked against me. And again, these are, these sound like excuses. I don't care. That was four years ago. That were changing in someone's mind how they view that that time means nothing to me. That's not the point here. The point is, maybe you're not the I'm just not a blank person. Maybe you haven't addressed it properly. Do you think you're a power person now? No, but I don't think I'm a D minus power person. I think I might be a C plus or a B minus. Maybe a C plus. You, um, I'm sure this is one of your pet peeves too. But you outlined. A top three biggest pet peeve with athletes I work with, and you'll know who you are. But okay, um, oh, I can't do this because I don't have it. Like I did forty pound lunges mm-hmm. instead of sixty because that's all I have. Like you just wave the white mm-hmm. flag and you're like, it's not my fault. I I don't have it. But like, well, there's one novel idea that we haven't discussed. Go get it, you idiot. I like calling people an idiot once an episode. I feel like it's important. Some idiot out there will hear me call them an idiot and do something about it. And I think like, you know, when you hear that, when you have like workouts that are, you have the athlete who has to modify everything or my dumbbells only go up to 15. So like, I can't bench press more than that. Yeah, you can. You can go buy some idiot. Anyways, it just reminds me when you say like, I never walking lunge with more than 50 pounds in training. It's like idiot. Well, and it also outlines the other thing. Sorry, sorry to be brash, but like it's also outlines, no. It needs to be done. It also outlines like the. <clears throat> I don't think there's an event out there that's more important to overweight your station work than high yes. rocks in particular. Like, great, do eighty pound lunges then. Yes, you're going to suffer, but race day is going to be smooth as butter. Use a twenty or twenty two pound wall ball instead of whatever it comes out to eighteen or whatever it is. Like those things are go so far. I know you've learned all those over many lessons over now, but like. Those are things when you're first starting out, you don't really think about. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's absolutely mandatory. So let's break down my idiotness. Idiosity, Kirk. Yeah, let's talk about you being an idiot. Yeah, I like this. Farmer's carry. I never went above 45 pounds because I couldn't make it weigh more than 45. Idiot. Why not? Why, could, why couldn't I make it weigh more than that? Well, because I didn't... I only had one kettlebell, and that was 50 pounds, and I didn't have dumbbells over 40 and my weight plates that I could grip only go up to 45. Like, why didn't I? Well, I have a shorty bar and a long barbell, a regular six-footer and then a four-footer. Why didn't I load those up and do farmer's carry with them? 
It's because I tried to one day and it was really awkward. So I didn't anymore. Idiot. Idiot. (laughs) (laughs) If it's awkward in training and you do it 50 times and you get to the point where you can handle that, what's a kettlebell going to feel like on race day? Butter. But but I was an idiot. So I didn't do that. Didn't do that. Now, the other... The other way to get by is to buy it. And so right after this, while I was having surgery, I ordered a few implements. One was loadable uh, farmer's carry handles. Mm-hmm. I can just put my plates on there. I can hold up to probably, I don't know, 205 on there or something like that. Like, all right. I, I can check both sides. I can be uncomfortable or I can buy it. I did that. Let's talk about walking lunges. I used my RAM, my 55-pound RAM, because that's what I had. Why didn't I take my shorty bar and put 85 or 95 pounds on there and use that? Well, because I did for one workout, Kirk, but my basement's low. And so it was awkward to, uh, to clean it up and then duck underneath it to get it on my back. And then when I wanted to take a break, the bar dug into my shoulders and into my traps. I didn't like that feeling. So I didn't do it. Idiot. Idiot. That's, that's something an idiot would do. <laughs> I remember a little episode back, oh, about January 1st when I was out with COVID, where somebody said there's people who find a way and there's people who find a way to not. Maybe you were just, at the moment, finding a way to not. Now finding I was. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Wall ball. I had a 20-pound rubberized med ball. That's what I used. It's narrower. It's easier to throw. What did I do right afterwards? I bought a 30-pound Titan dead ball. Like, an idiot. Wouldn't have done that. I moved away from being an idiot in that moment. Good job. In that one venue, I was no longer an idiot in that lane. Great job. So the real test, Kirk, is what real idiots do, is they repeat the same mistakes again. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't even have to be the same mistake. It can be a different mistake for the same reason. So now, when burpee broad jumps aren't what I'm doing. So like in this workout that I just did, I do burpee tuck jumps. Because I don't have enough space in my basement to do more than two burpee broad jumps before turning around. And all the constant turnarounds are a hassle and break my rhythm. Will I do burpee broad jumps this block? Or am I going to say, nah, burpee tuck jumps are just fine. The next things that come around, will I continue to be an idiot in other venues? Or will I be able to think, is this something an idiot would do? I, we'll see. <laughs> I think most of what we do in training for our events are things idiots would do. So we'll have to narrow our... <laughs> our scope here but idiot it feels really good i I like to like just throw that word out there towards people who are idiots but it's really fun to throw it right at you like idiot like just right across the forehead i really it's satisfying thanks for allowing me that pleasure that's what i was doing all weekend just looking in the mirror squeezing lemon juice in my eyes (laughs) idiot (laughs) idiot well you're a man you can't help it bracken that's that's always your default like oh I'm, i'm a guy You know, sometimes that's what we are. Idiots. Got to learn the hard way. Um, Anything else? (laughs) Any other talking points with any of that? I think that was all good to talk through. Just reiterating. The thing that you just never be able to do maybe just needs more time. Yeah. Maybe just needs a different approach. That's it. Little grace with yourself. Little confidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would very clearly, actually, there's one track of mind, at least for me and maybe with you, uh, post-collegiately, like... Sure, I was an All-American in the 1500, but I was our seventh guy on our cross-country team. Like, make that make sense, mm-hmm. right? I couldn't run fast for a long time. My stay power was bad. 
I wasn't a 5K or a 10K or a cross-country runner. My sweet spot was more around the 1500. I wasn't. Well, then you leave college and you don't have options. Like, I'm not going to go race 1500s every weekend, you know? And so then you start training differently and then you realize, like, oh, like, I closed the door on that side of my fitness. Like, maybe now I'm probably a better half marathoner than I am a miler or a 5Ker, truth be told. And, like, I would have said I'm not... I'm not a long distance runner. Like that's how I would have left college. Just like you would have, like, I'm not Mm -hmm. good at that. Did a lot of it in between now and then. And granted it's been a couple of decades almost, but it changed. So I think it's proof that that can change. I know you hold the sharp end of your arrow, your quiver a little better than I do, but, um, that's just comes to mind for me. I'm a young man. You're you're so young. Wait till I whoop you this weekend. You're going to feel so young. I feel young at all. I already know. Kirk, <laughs> I've never gotten the better of you in a workout. And I was, I don't have any aspirations of doing that. <laughs> I was a little worried because this calf issue popped up on me, but today's run was encouraging. So I think I'll be able to, I think I'll be able to hit it with you this weekend, which makes me excited. Good. Yeah. And I'm bringing a few shoes for you to test out too. So you better be able to get up on your toes. Spicy. That is my concern right now. So we'll have to see. Uh. Yeah. So update on those Mizuno Rebellion Pro 2s. Yeah. It's interesting. Last week, we got on our call, and I held them up to you, and I said, Kirk, this is the wildest shoe I've ever put on my feet. I'm so excited about this. And you said, I just talked to Rad Dad Bot about this, and he hates the shoe. And I think I'm in love with it. Yeah? What do you like about it? However. Oh, okay. Uh, well, it when I run fast, this shoe was laser-sketched laser scanned and etched out of foam and space age materials to fit around my form when I'm trying to run fast. It certainly doesn't work for me slow or moderate, but if I'm running mid to four foot, it seems like it was designed to make me run that way. So I can see how someone would hate it. You have to run fast for this shoe. Hmm. I cannot use this shoe. What do you consider fast? Uh, like, slow. Give me just so I know, like pace stride, like pace wise for you. What do you need to hit uh, it, to work? For me, I have to be under six minute pace. For you to feel the, full I effect. think, okay. but I think it'll actually make me change my stride. I don't think it's about speed. I think it's about aggression of stride. You might be able to hit it at a much slower pace because you have more of a four foot strike than I have. Hmm. But it, it, you have to be running in a way that you're uh, driving forward, like momentum and power. You can't be. I can't coast in this shoe. It doesn't work. So I can see how someone would hate it. But while running fast, this is the most dynamic, crazy feeling I've ever had on my foot. This weekend, I did 20 by 400. And every five reps, I switched shoes because I was testing out some of our new shoes we've got in. And the third set I did in these and the fourth set in the Alpha Fly ones. And the Alphas I put on and thought, oh, I can run however I want in these. These are so tame. <laughs> and that's a crazy that's a crazy thought to have that the alpha flies felt like accommodating which they are to some extent but they're also the craziest shoe i'd ever tried prior to this shoe running 530 pacer faster what shoes faster over duration what do you think i don't know the longer i go the more the alpha hmm. during it i was thinking in a 5k right now i think i take the rebellion wow but if the distance has me question at all if I'm going to slow down ever or change my stride, it would be alpha because I don't know what I would do in the Mizuno once I had to change my stride or or if it started to break down a little bit. I think I'd be in real trouble. And they certainly stress my legs. I'll have to build up tolerance to these. 
Yeah, the interesting thing. They're hard on my calves. Is as soon as your foot isn't hitting the ground, like that shoe is necessarily designed for, it almost has like the opposite effect. It's like a breaking effect. Instead of pushing you forward, it actually pushes you backwards in a sense. And I could see that happening, which is how crazy that shoe looks. Like if you're a heel striker, you may end up actually running in reverse on accident. Now you know how you do it. Just backwards. Why is Bracken backwards running? Ah, you must have gotten tired. Luckily, that's very soft foam. Mm Mm-hmm. On that fulcrum point, it's very soft. It's the softest part of the shoe. It's forgiving. So there's some leeway there, but you don't want to mess <laughs> with that area. No. All right. Well, yeah, bring me some. Anyway, it'll be interesting for you to try that shoe out. And your feet have gotten bigger, so now we're the same size. So you can definitely bring me bring me all the goods. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just the feet. Well, I think we did it. We don't need to talk about me. I had a talking point, but we can save it for next week. <laughs> we didn't even get to you. <laughs> no, we didn't. But that's okay. I feel uh, I, it's my kind of day. I, I don't need any dissecting. I just wanted to give a. Uh, I wanted to give more of a uh, frame of reference, not PSA, but a reminder about working through injury and stimulus and efficiency. And I'm learning all that, you know, after about a week and a half of messed up calves and shins bothering me before that and all that. But we'll save that lesson for another day. Hmm. Um, I think I think that's it. We already hit our hour, didn't we? I think so. There's no way of knowing. Okay. <laughs> there is no way today because we had to stop the recording halfway. Um, slide into our DMs if you have any uh, specifics, you would, any thoughts on the, you know what you would like to see more or less of uh, or inquiries about are we going to do X, Y, or Z. Um, shoot them over to us, you know, email, Instagram, personally, to our personal. Well, hustle. Yeah, hustle. We're going dark Thursday afternoon. We're going dark. Okay, yeah, we're going dark Thursday afternoon, folks. So get it in. Talk to you guys later. Mm-hmm.